Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie. I got to figure out this pointing thing uh, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and Narrative. outside your business. I might go with complete set, Charlie. I think that's better than I a full like that, set. I feel like it really rolls off the tongue a bit nicer. Complete set. Uh, today, we're with Aaron Wybrow talking all things money related. Uh, but more importantly, hey, Aaron, are you on the newsletter? I definitely am on the newsletter. Got to be reading that thing Damn every straight week. he is. That is because he knows what's good for him. So if you're listening to this and you're not on the newsletter, head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your details and get some of Charlie's stories in you and we'll drop some Easter eggs here or there. One of these days we actually need to send those Easter eggs, Charlie. Either way, let's just Anyone's continue this. Out there's no Easter eggs yet? Shut up. Shh. Dude, I did this marketing course. And it's like you just keep telling people stuff. Things are coming. <laughs> And they're like, oh, what was I, I write the newsletter. I'm not putting any Easter eggs in it. So <laughs> I'm like, telling I'm like, you. Maybe you are. <laughs> I've got this I got this email all prepped. If you're not on the newsletter, trust me, you need to be on it. Let's cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing. And I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, guys, we're doing the uh, mortgage broking Q&A, but I'll tell you what, I uh, set this room up and I was like, cool, it's a bit of a cloudy day. Like, There's no way the sun's going to come beaming in. And then sure enough... (laughs) <laughs> the sun has just started beaming in as we start this podcast. So it's 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 like a, what do they call it? Murphy's law. That's the one. It's like you think yeah, it's not going to happen, and Murphy. then it's going to happen. So um, for anyone watching the video, it's going to be a nice, bright, and sunny video for Charlie here. But it just keeps things interesting. Now, the reason we're doing this uh, episode, so we're doing a mortgage broking Q and A episode, is because quite commonly when you do something new, there's a whole bunch of questions that come with it. And uh, I think what's really awesome is it seems we're uh, attracting a lot of people that are doing the property investment thing now. Like I know many people across the business and investing community <coughs> are actually investing in property. And there's all these things that you then have to understand when it comes to answering the questions. Now, being I am not qualified to give financial advice on this topic, and we actually have a really competent and strong mortgage broker who's not only a sponsor of the show but does our lending as well, I thought it would bring be awesome to bring Aaron on and just go through this Q&A. So welcome to the show, Aaron. Uh, it's good to be here and I love Q&A. So um, it's it get into the nitty-gritty for the people listening so they understand and have some guidance of what they can do to get some individual guidance around their situation. Now, I'm curious, do you get the same questions all the time? <clears throat> there's uh, it, it does uh, there's a lot of different questions but the themes around the questions usually are, are remain the same and and I think we are in this area of time or this period of time that it's so individualized to the person and the person's situation um, that you just have to unpack it and change it and understand the client that we're talking to um, so that we can make some get get some inroads and some value to them so they understand where they're going and what they're going to do in the future. That was the greatest yeah, awesome. way for someone to say that you're all special and unique, but you're not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you think Everyone's you're unique, you think you're special. Unique. However, all your problems, like there's like five things I got you covered. 
Now, I have pulled these questions uh, from people who have replied to the emails and all those Easter eggs, Grant. Uh, so it's, that's where all these questions have come from is people that are on the email list and they reply and ask them. So thank you to those that do read my emails. Do, do they send Easter eggs back to you, Charlie? <laughs> no, but they send nudes, which is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That was a reference from a previous episode. Fantastic. I was going to say, people that don't know that reference are going to be like, what goes on on this email list? <laughs> Although maybe we are driving up enough curiosity, people will maybe jump on be. the list now. <laughs> maybe you should be on it. It's like the it's like the, the, the necklace that has the dollar sign on it, the big bling from like straight. the 80s <laughs> or something. Um, yeah. I love it. See how the dollar signs come out, yeah. All right, All right, Charlie, we're ju- jumping into this one. We're, I'm going to pull this one back in. It's uh, the first question. So this is – I thought this was an excellent question that came in. So in Australia, it seems that um, we have a huge bias towards the big four banks uh, to the point where they're household names across the country. And then there's also a bunch of second-tier and third-tier lenders. And uh, one of the questions I got from someone is that they got a loan with a second-tier lender – And they were concerned that basically this is like dangerous shark money and as soon as they can, they need to get away with it and get into a big four. So the question I've got for you, Aaron, is what's the difference between the big four, the second tier lenders and the third tier and is it more risky to be in one over the other or more dangerous or how do you think about it? Well, Start with a statistic of what the big four have as market share in the in the home loan space. It's between seventy six and eighty percent of the home loan space is taken up by by the big four, and the big four being CBA, ANZ, National Australia Bank, um, and uh, Westpac. And then then those are the big four. And what's really interesting in the in the market of lending is that when we start thinking second tier or uh, or even third tier, um, guess where their funds come from? Don't tell me the big four banks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> of course so here's an, interesting, here's an interesting thing. I was talking to a non-bank lender that has three lines of products. So non-bank being second tier, so try to put it in, your, your, in the words that came through in the question, second tier being non-bank. And I've got three sets of products with this bank. So they've got what you would normally get at a big four, which they call prime lending. So that's full doc, full assessment, everything. Their warehouse for that line of funding comes from one of the big four. Then they've got this thing called the near prime. So the people that might need to use a different form of income verification could be business activity statements. Um, It could be that you might have blemishes on your credit file. That's called near prime and that's warehouses, another big four. It's like a big credit card for them to be able to lend out money from another big four. And then they've got the specialist lending. This is the ones where you might be behind in your mortgage, credit impaired, not not coping too well, and you need just a hand to get out of that, consolidate it together, and then go down the path of moving through to prime lending and then on to, uh, if you want, big four or tier one, you could say. So that specialist line is another big four funding that. So it's really interesting. The big four do invest as a 70, 76 to 80% of the market directly, but indirectly there's funding lines with credit policies that help um, a whole range of other borrowers out there. So I would put it this way. A dollar from a big four bank is the same value as a dollar from a non-bank or second or third tier lender. It comes down to your situation. Is it more risky? Um, I think when you categorize them as T1 and T2, um, people then go, one's bad, one's good. 
Yes. And it's not. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, one stage one's good. I'm not. Well, I don't want to be tier two. Do you want to be tier two, Grant? No, man. They're all shady. The reason that they can't get into the big four is because they're shady, Charlie. <laughs> like, that's why they Do you know? Do you, here's, uh, here's other banks' names. Do you think St. George or ING Bank or Me Bank or what other banks we got? That, don't put Me Bank in there. Bank West. Uh, do, do you think they're tier one? No. No, I. But no, I do know who two. owns one of them. <laughs> Yeah, like Bankwest is owned by Combank. Um, Westpac owns St. George. Uh, what about Bank of Queensland? Bank of Queensland sits in the tier two category. Bank of Queensland owns Virgin Money, Me Bank. Could throw a Bendigo Bank into this one as well. I was going to say Bendigo. Yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. on that idea that you've got in this example, and I'm not going to single this out, you've got Bankwest and Combank. Why wouldn't they just absorb that and make it all tier one lender? One, it's a great question. Well, this is, I, I think, not being an expert in how they bought each other or went into those negotiations. I think competition being in the marketplace and coming back to saying 76, 80% of the market of home loans is sitting with the big four. Um, I would say that some of our governing regulatory bodies still want to have some competition in the marketplace. So what we find if we unpack the big four a bit, there's still variances in price and policy across the four banks, um, but they're a bigger brand and a bigger brand in the market attracts people. Um, and with the tier two lenders, there's, there's multiple lenders with lots of different competition with policy. So the big four are four banks, the non-banks like 30, 40, 50 lenders there competing for that last um, 20, 25% of the market share. So they have to compete on the policy. They have to vary the, in in the income documentation. They have to vary the pricing. Um, they have to reduce the bells and whistles sometimes or add the bells and whistles into their product offering to be able to attract that customer. Um, and, th and that's where the competition comes in. So I would say, why don't they absorb? In some cases, from a, from a compliance and a, and a security and, a, and a, uh, all that compliance stuff, they do share information, ComBank and, and BankWest, because they've got to protect from money laundering and a whole range of other things as a basic regulatory market. But um, they do have different policies, significantly different policies going to BankWest or, or ComBank. All right, so I just want to bring this back to... Uh like obviously we understand now like in some cases second-tier lenders are owned by first-tier lenders and just how much the first-tier lenders own of the market overall. Bringing this back to someone who's getting a loan though, if you're getting a loan and let's say you're going with a second-tier or third-tier lender, is there more risk in it for you? And I'll give you the example. If Bank West was to collapse, let's just say, and your loan gets called up or something of that nature – Am I, as the person who holds the mortgage, in any riskier position being with one of these lenders? No. Interesting. <laughs> no, straight up. You still owe. Like I get the I get the question all the time. If the if the bank I got my home loan with goes bust, do I have to pay my home loan back? <laughs> Did you get that question. Yes, but that's what yeah. I've thought. I've wondered. I've never thought that. No, You're fair. You you still have to pay it back because what we've got very strong banks in in Australia and and as there's this intermingling um, nature of banks and the funding lines, um, they understand what the risk profile of non non banks or second tier or third tier lenders are, and what we've seen in other other countries is where some banks um, go a little bit south or bust, a government or bigger banks come and swallow them up. 
which means you're still going to have to pay your mortgage. Yeah. I think it's more the implication of getting caught out and then like maybe you were on an investment product with the bank that then no longer exists and it doesn't work for you ongoingly. Where it's like with the big four and I, you know, never say never, there's, you know, been Lehman Brothers in the world or the Bear Stearns things, which were some significant institutions. It's just like when you are borrowing money and you can handle that term, the idea of those terms changing adds risk to your plate in that way. So very interesting insights on that one, Aaron. I looked at, um, I looked at a couple of, um, I looked at a National Australia Bank contract, loan contract recently this morning and last night, and I looked at a non-bank contract and and there's not too many um terms and conditions that are different they still got that thing that they can vary the terms and conditions at any point in time that's nab um say a resimac they have the same statement sitting in there um all, all they're looking at in any of the lending contracts is that you understand the terms and conditions you understand the interest rate you're going to pay the repayment you're going to make and most of the time when we're looking at second tier lenders or or even the more non-known brands, um, you just need to understand what we're doing and how we're going to try to move you through the process. Like most of the time with second tier lenders, most of the clients that I'm finding are there for a specific reason. They've had to use business bank statements, business activity statements to get an opportunity that's on the table. You look at a property, I want that property now. Um, We are at the end of the financial year. We want to do the opportunity and then we'll get the the full documentation, tax returns and things, and then we can have a pathway back to a big bank as required. But I can also say on the reverse side, reverse side is true. Once you exhaust your borrowing capacity with the big four banks and you still want to continue to invest, you've got to go to 20, 25% of the market that has all the other lenders and all the other policies to be able to continue going and lending to you. And they're hungry, right? They're really hungry. Oh, forced they, to go there. And you can get better rates at second tier lenders. I can tell you, like if if you want to compare a Bank West and a CBA, even though they own each other, and sometimes the Bank West interest rates are a lot less than the CBA rate, which seems strange when they own each other. Well, you, you hit on this point, right? So this was me on second and third tier lenders, especially mm. probably your third tier, like your Resimax. Wait, 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 wait. Are, you, are you, you you second tier and third tier type of guy? <laughs> he's going to be sounding gross. pretty cool. He's, oh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a I'm a purist, right? I'm first tier only. Hey, I will do anything creative to tell stories in this podcast, Charlie. That's Calm down, you muggle. Calm down, you muggle. Calm <laughs> down. <laughs> you commoner. <laughs> you such a commoner. No, but the, so one of the challenges that I had when I first got, um, uh, I think it was a loan with Resimac, and, and it was because we used bass statements and stuff, Aaron. You know the whole debacle with yeah. it. One of the concerns that I had was that they are going to do the bait and switch. So it's like, you know, it's like, hey, your first one month or two months free that you see on all these subscription products and then they go, bam, or like the the whole like afterpay thing where it's like, hey, it's interest free, but the second you hit that 13th month, you're getting slammed with like a 20% interest payment. And so for me, when I was looking at like these kind of third tier, second tier lenders, I'm like, is this just going to be a bait and switch? Are they just going to be like, oh, well, here's your couple of percent interest rate. And then six months later, it's like, and it doubled. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, wait, what? Or that they were going to put like a clause on it where I just couldn't get out or there was some things like that. So my question to you, Aaron, is have you ever seen any of that kind of, I don't know, weird things where they've tried to hold on to people or sort of not so much shaft people, but kind of do one over on their customers or are they all pretty, do they all operate the same, like a big four? (laughs) Um, 
I've seen some shafty moves on the big four to retain customers. <laughs> Isn't this um, illusion of safety with the big four interesting? But that it's that was fascinating. Me, I'm sitting there, yeah, I'm sitting there going, I'm like, well, the big four, because they have royal commissions, they have people looking over them, they do all these things. And I'm like, I feel like the government's going to hold me, like, I don't know, look after me. But maybe these second tier, right. third tier ones, maybe not. So here's here's the thing. So if you if you want to get into the um, I um, when you get into private funding where an investor has a lot more say around rates and and risk and and appetite and all that sort of stuff, I feel like there is a lot of shark area in that one um, where they are up at like one and a half percent interest per month, not per year, just FYI on that. That's a large amount of interest, um, and that that can be quite disastrous uh, depending on the understanding of the terms and conditions but where you got the second second tier um, they they are funded by a major or they've got multiple lines of funding from investor land to major bank to um, non-bank land um, some of the non-banks actually run their own mortgage fund and that's quite interesting too where they have a lot more control over that from the the investors that go into that and can that you quickly just explain that stuff. Aaron Please, because I think people won't necessarily understand that as a okay. concept. So, so there's a we we have a I have a lender on my panel that has a mortgage fund, um, and investors like you and I, um, or super funds, or self managed super funds, or your own personal wealth can be invested into it to get a higher rate of return than say a um, a, a, a fixed rate um, uh, interest from from a bank a lot more. So it's a bit more risky, but it's still giving you a rate of return because Australian um, homeowner payers can, uh, typically, generally speaking, very good at repaying the mortgages. So when you have peer-to-peer -peer lending or uh, using a mortgage fund in this case, um, you get a little bit more control around um, how you can lend it out and policies around that one. So that allows them a competitive advantage, say, against a big four bank where they, they, they're not subject to the bond market or sovereign funds or other investment funds that come into it or even international money that comes into it, which is where the volatility can come into your interest rate. Um, the other one is around the cost. Grant, you mentioned that are they going to throw more percentages on there? Now, we've, we've seen it a little bit where most of the major banks in the upwards interest rate cycle have been putting the rates up by the standard RBA. Yep. But we have seen some of the non-banks hold back a month and not do anything. But then the next month, they whack it up by 0.75 instead of 0.5. But it's a timing perspective because when the when those cost of money or cost of funds in the in the mortgage market float through to the second tier lenders, you, you actually probably got a few extra months up your sleeve of lower cost. Yeah, I, I love this so, as a topic, yeah. right? It seems that the competition is kind of forcing everyone to behave. So if yeah. you're one of these lenders regardless and you do the dirty, well, everyone will just refinance away from you. So there's like this yeah. massive incentive game of like mm. – I, I, and I always laugh when uh, rates go up, right, which big four or which bank's going to raise rates first. It's almost like no one wants to be the first one because people might refi. Now, yeah. taking this uh, into place here, Aaron, uh, one of the things that happened across my uh, buying spree, so when I was buying a lot of properties at once, which you were the broker on that – Something mm. you mentioned a few times across that was uh, getting a lender who can just get the deal done. Now, we were buying in the pandemic cycle where literally some lenders just like you couldn't get anything done with them. They didn't have their processing team. 
people were away sick, it was near impossible to get a loan with a particular lender at that time. So one of the uh, things that was mentioned was let's use a lender who can get you the property or secure the property and we'll refinance it later. Now, what I would love to know, is it common for people to take a loan or get a mortgage to get a deal done in whatever the environment or whatever favourable lending policy there is and then move it to another lender at another point? Oh, it's absolutely yes. And um, I've got my, – my kids have a um, dance concert coming up on on Saturday and um, it's going to be phenomenal to watch them dance on stage and there's a – typical dance called the two-step and and I put this into the picture of the lending is that sometimes you've got a awesome priced property in front of you and you're not totally ready or you've got an awesome priced everything in front of you you've got a map out of multiple properties as 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 you did Charlie where we we have to look forward to make sure that we can get that all secured and then we can do things as simple as change it from principal and interest and diversify the fund into interest only and principal and interest so you can control which assets you want to offset, pay down, all that sort of stuff. Or in commonly with a few of my clients to give you examples is we might need to secure the land under say a loan with business bank statements, business activity statements, my apologies. Um, And then when we uh, got the financials in place, we can have a look at their whole portfolio, reconstruct the whole thing, move loans that were 20 years back to 30 years, move move it from the um, business activity bank statements lender to a prime lender to get the construction of their dream homecoming. So we have to do something to secure the opportunity in play and the upwards, uh, in, in this particular case, there was an upwards um, lift on the land price and we're able to capitalize that as we move down the path of constructing their dream owner-occupied property. We've got Lodoc construction going on. I've got Lodoc construction going on with a client at the moment, and they're just off getting their tax returns to me, which means that we can utilize that that lender to do the construction. Once the construction's done, we can either utilize that lender to get a better rate, or we can move them to another one. Um, or the other one is that where people have had some trouble with um, credit or trouble with repaying things or complex deals of um, estate settlement where time comes into it or the bank just can't get to it in time, we, we have to go to the ones that are going to not um, put clients at risk of losing a deal that they're contractually obligated to keep going forward with. And, and it's the two-step. We, we have to start the dance and then we might have to change the dance halfway through. Well, this <laughs> I love that analogy, by the way, <laughs> but I find this fascinating. See, I'm going to fall on my sword and it feels like I'm saying I've cheated on you, Aaron, is my very first investment property, I had it with a, a different lending specialist. We shouldn't and have done this podcast. I tell you what, outrageous. second tier and cheating on your broker. There's a lot of personality <laughs> traits coming out. Wait, I'm not sure on. I want to do this anymore. This I might need to take the show solo. <laughs> I thought you guys were my psychiatrist on this. I thought I was laying down. This was a circle of trust, yeah, I'm, guys. I'm going like, to do the rest of this podcast with my nose held high. I'm you. just like, <laughs> you snob. Hey, Aaron, we'll just talk. That's fine. We'll just cut Charlie out because he's a perfectionist. No, so, <laughs> so coming back. So my very first investment property was with a completely different broker. And that broker locked me in to an interest-only rate with a particular bank for a very long period of time, which – in light of what's happened, it's actually worked out to be quite beneficial. Da, 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 da. I've spoken yep. about it on the podcast before. 
But one of the things that I found fascinating when I was working with you, Aaron, on this was that concept of that two-step. It's like we're not like we're not scared to do a little bit of extra work to actually get you the loan now. And then in six months, 12 months, 24 months, whenever it's a, a, appealing or right or financials are better, et cetera, let's go and change it. So like, looking back at that, is that more of like the way that you think or that your team thinks, or is that just two different types of mortgage brokers in that play? Like is, or is there a right or wrong or I just don't, in my mind, I don't understand how two mortgage brokers can have such different approaches to the same thing, which is me getting an investment property. It's a, it's probably even a, a summary question about does the market change and do individuals have different goals? Mm. Absolutely. Um, and, and if we can't, and, and I'm, we, we have to, one, one of my mantras that I have in business and, and even written into the values is that my, my company, my firm has to meet the client where they are understand them and move them to where they want to be and if they're we and that is where it comes in where can we we have to do something now and then in the future something's going to change so cba could be a lender that we go to now but what if the next big thing comes up We've got it in business as well. We might bring on, uh, pick on a pick on a coaching client. We might be starting a coaching business and we charge a smaller amount, but then new clients come in and then we charge them a lot higher amount. So it's it's the products develop over time, people's goals develop over time, and even in mortgage broking businesses, we we might need staff, we might need extra computers, we might need that, and if we didn't do that, we're not going to grow and we're not going to move forward, and. Sometimes we find that in a lot of industries, they don't, they don't pivot their, their story to the market. They don't pivot what they need to do to keep themselves surviving in the market. And it's the same with mortgage brokers. Like I'm, I love talking about the future. If anyone's come to me to talk about a loan and we finish the loan, I'm asking, what's next? Can we do another one? Are you, are you thinking bigger than just this one? Because you don't have to do it. I just want people to be thinking bigger because if you're thinking bigger, my business will survive because I'm keeping close to the client, but it, it's it, you've you've just got to think that the market and the products and the rates and the fees and the charges and everything changes, and it just has to relate to the person. And moving to one lender to secure a property and going to the next lender, not a bad thing because in the current market of upwards rate interest rate rises, you might want to change to another lender that's going to charge you half a percent, a whole percent less. Like who doesn't want that? So I'm going I'm to summarize the answer because Aaron's such a nice guy. Yeah. Charlie, to answer okay. your question of is it common to secure a loan and then refinance it, I do not think it is common. I just think it's common for when you're aware of that strategy because <laughs> I've been on the other side yeah. of the fence. I'm yeah. like, this ain't common. And I think Aaron's sort of being nice <laughs> around it. I just, it's not what other, my experience anyway, it's just not common for me across brokers, but I think that's broker specific. I would go on to say that it's the tendency of Aaron and some of the other people we have on this show not to talk downly of other people in their industry. But guess what? I'm not in the industry. I'm going to say there's a lot of shit brokers out there. There's a lot of ones out yes. that do incredibly shifty things like lock people into loans for fixed terms for two years to make sure they get their commissions. Interesting, right? So if you ever get a broker saying lock in for two years, caution advised. But um, in general, uh, the big mindset shift I had 
was going, I really viewed Aaron's role when we began working together as like, cool, your job's to secure the loan, you get it, and then leave the thing alone for 30 years. If I get another property, that's where we re-engage. And I'm like, as I've gone deeper into this, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. The lending side of it is this continually strategic game. It it's never something stops. where yeah, yeah, and you may uh, the yeah. trigger of buying another property may be the thing that has you refinance another. Or if you sell a property, you may need to refinance another. Or if you want to go harder in business and you're going, right, I want to get liquidity out and buffer up because I want to take stupid risk in business. Also, the grant move, something that's, <laughs> you know, high-end folk look down on. Hashtag grant But But um, you, you really, it's a, a strategic role, not a like, just do this event and then we don't talk about it again. And I don't think enough people acknowledge the value in the skill of being strategic on this. It's oh. um, and any chance I I get to put in a chef analogy into a podcast, I'll tag. By the way, all right, let's go to the next and question. Quick, quick, quick. No, you go. <laughs> <laughs> but it, we we can acknowledge that it's like if you give uh, five chefs the same set of ingredients, right? The difference will be the chef. Right, an amateur versus a pro gets a very different set of results with the same ingredients. Mortgage brokers too often get considered as commodities and like one in the same, or just for that, you know, they're just going to make the appetizer. Don't worry about the main course or dessert. Where it's like, this is where uh, I, I feel so fortunate because like Aaron's really educated me along this journey and helped me understand it. And I would like to think I even ask better questions now, or I'm at least thinking about that in a better way. And that's something that's really become a big advantage for me when I look at this. I think it's huge. So I'll loop this into a question to be uh, something that I think would help on this topic as well, is when it comes to this strategic element, Aaron, and refinancing and uh, changing loans and getting equity and all the the stuff that comes with it, and I'm going to ask this in two parts, which you shouldn't there, is like, what's common in the people you work with for how often they refinance? And then on the other side of things, what would be your recommendation on how often or what triggers to put in place if a right refinance or doing this strategic work is a good idea? So buying a property with with one lender and looking to refinance to another that gets you a better position um, is a I, – I like it as a strategy because it helps you get opportunities right now when they're available to you. Um and and there's not just property, not just anything. Even in business, you 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 are you ready to hire a staff member? Are you not ready? You've got to, if the staff member comes along your path, maybe you're going to have to take them because they may not come back again. So taking opportunity now, getting the loan that you need, making sure it's reasonable. Let's not go sharky territory. Let's make it reasonable, and then we'll move you back. Um, how often should we refinance? Well, if that's a specific strategy, we have you in the future for us to refinance. So I've got a couple of, I've got many different people in, in old doc lending that I am now specifically targeting because 2022 tax returns are coming out and they are stronger because businesses are resilient through the pandemic and things where we are reassessing to move them back into moving back to, um, more lower cost lending. 
first tier, second tier, doesn't matter there. How often should we refinance? Hold, well, hold up on that one because yep. that's. I think you just dropped okay. a little nugget. Ooh. So if you've had a strong year in business and you've got a, a set of financials that are really strong, yep. that would be a trigger to go, hey, uh, Mr. Mortgage Broker, let's have a look at what deals we can get because I'm particularly like lender worthy at the moment. Absolutely. And and I, I and I've got a list of my clients that have these um, low uh, old doc, low doc, however you want to frame it, loans that I'm actively pursuing for their their tax returns, aka grant. Um, so, um, and he's been a very hey, stop, wise stop client. No, we I just thought because Aaron no. just talks so nicely of you. It's like <laughs> clean, clean up your act, clean up your act. <laughs> yeah, you wait, we had this conversation. I was going to try like an alt doc to see what the experience was like so that we could talk about it on the podcast. Of course. You <laughs> that's do. right. And that's I just right. get shit Actually, that's a really good idea. We should go borrow from a loan shark and see what happens. <laughs> well, we haven't come out with the episode yet. You, you, we had this go. You guys are outrageous. Uh, if I could leave, I would. We, we, we've got you back. It's all good. We'll fix you up. <laughs> we um, love you, Grant. And, and it feels like it. Re- refinance is a very – it's a hot topic at the moment. Interest rates are going up. No one likes that. I have not seen someone that likes the interest rate go up, except for maybe an investor where their rent is increasing at the same pace, if not more than the interest rate. Um, so interest rates are uh, – so we, as as mortgage brokers, we've always wanted to encourage people to look at their rate, look at their rate, let's get the better rate, let's get start from a lower base um, and, and utilize the products to help you – pay less on your mortgage and, and there's a lot of campaigns, a lot of ads out there. You open your Facebook up, I'll probably open it up after this and see how much I can save on my mortgage because they're all listening to us. But in the interest rate rises, everyone's been highlighted to see to to not become complacent with their interest rates. Um, so it depends on what the practice is. So are we doing dollar for dollar refinance? And typically in my strategy of going down all doc to full doc, to be able to get an opportunity off the table and into someone's portfolio is a specific strategy. Um, there's still a lot of my refinances are still going for cash out or they've got their business lending, their business financials in the right way. They need one year's tax returns, they need other things or they need to move to a bank that has a different, different set of skills related to how many questions they ask for getting the cash out versus less skill, less less cash out. Some have dollar caps, some have the percentage of the um, property caps. So those, I've still got a lot of refinances that have specific purposes to refinance, but there is now a growing trend of people just refinancing dollar for dollar to get a better rate. And that and that's where I'm finding refinances. But there, there's a, a few tips on refinances. My, my tip is if you don't need any more money, take, I'd take these three steps. Number one, I'd be ringing my bank and asking for a better rate, utilizing your broker to ask them to get a better rate and see if the bank can retain you. Um, you never know, you might get the same rate on the lower lender that you would potentially refinance to without needing to provide all the documentation whatsoever and you just get a better rate and happy days, you move on. Back to the business, back to the grind to make some more money in business so that we can get you the next investment that you want to do inside or outside your business. Um, the other one is I've tested a few things. I've tested on myself. I've, I've asked the bank multiple times in the last three to six months to see what they could do on my rate. First off, it was big 0.5s, one percenters off. And now they're, they're starting to go, mate, you keep asking us, what are you doing? <laughs> so, 
Um, but if you haven't asked for a, bet, a good rate in the last six months, I'd be asking for it because you, you'll get something. Um, I, I also point to is threaten to put a discharge in. I've seen, I've seen the big four banks pay people to stay with them. Um, I have a client at the moment got a better rate just off the rate I was proposing that he goes to. I told him to call the bank because some of this particular bank, you have to call them to get the discharge document now so they get an opportunity to retain. Fair enough. Let's let's put some blocks in. And it's probably not a bad strategy in business too. Put some blocks in to try to retain your clients before they run away. Um, and the out- outcome was the bank was going to throw them a few grand to stay and cancel their discharge. And that's big four, just throwing the sharky in there, the big four tier one stuff again, pick on the big four. Uh, and the other one is go to the market. So if, if all else all fails, you get a block, you can't get any more rate reduction, the bank goes, cool, just put your discharge in. It's all right, mate, off you go. Um, or, and then go to the market, get a better rate. And that's where we're finding, finding that as well. That is so interesting, Aaron. I feel like we could do a whole podcast on um, just stories that have come from like what you've seen with lenders because I like to think these big institutions that are regulated and have a lot like operate very linearly, but clearly there's a lot of individual circumstance that goes on. Uh, Again, one of the mindset shifts I had when I went through this is being less concerned about interest rate, obviously still concerned but not less concerned, but being more concerned about like overall cost, the policies and benefits that come with certain loans. For example, I pay a higher interest rate to have uh, one of my loans in a trust, for example, but it offers me other benefits. So like there are reasons why you would take a higher rate loan rather than just always going for um, basal rate within that. But the other big one I look at now is going, well, I want to make sure that I take on the type of lending that allows me to keep playing the game. Right, I think there's a real risk in people getting obsessed with cost cutting, just like they could get obsessed with cost cutting in business and then forgetting about, well, actually, do you know what? Growing the business is a really big part of this. So if you get yourself into a position where, well, great, I got the best loan ever. I mean, I'm never, ever going to achieve my goals or hit my dreams because I'm stuck and I can't get things done. You may be potentially playing the wrong game. Like just playing for cheap isn't playing to win. Now, I want to throw in a sub-question on this because this was actually me and I think this is a really good one to put on this episode. Is it risky? Now, I'm someone who's got um, – I don't know how many loans I have right now, but at, at this point of the recording the podcast, I've got 11 properties and let's just say 11 loans to go with that. We won't unpack that further. Is it risky to have 11 mortgages with one bank? How, is having all my lending with one bank a risk? There's lots of debate around having your mortgages with one bank, whether it's risky or not risky. Um, and, and I suppose as you build a property portfolio, having it with one bank or having it with a bank that has a, a lower service time to get approved is is not is going to be a benefit. Um, I suppose we, we look at um, lenders about what they do with policy to be able to keep you borrowing. That's the first, the first line versus the risk. So, for example, recently we've had some lenders come out that they'll accept 90% of rental income versus the traditional 80%. Uh, we've got people, banks that treat debt differently to other banks. So, there is uh, some theories out there that we can exhaust serviceability or your borrowing capacity with one bank and then move on to the next bank. That's quite a common theme that we hear out in the marketplace. 
Um, if you want to dig into the, the risk stuff, the, all lenders have some risk scores on people. So the more, more you um, borrow from them, and one example, simple example, when I've got clients that are getting uh, moving through their journey to three to four properties with the same lender, at, at one, two, and three, they weren't too concerned about some uh, – they, they were happy to take some people's disclosures on how much their rental property costs to hold. But as soon as they went to the four – even though they were PAYG, they were asking for the individual tax return to have a look at what the actual strata fees are, for example, or, or um, property management costs are and put that in there just to have some more scrutiny as they get greater exposure with this one client. Um, and then they might look at the, they might have a max number of properties that you can hold with that particular bank. Uh, you might have the dollar figure of the amount of lending before you go into a, a higher level say business banker or something like that where there's a lot more scrutinization on you so it's always good to be able to distribute your lending across different lenders where possible and decrease your risk on that because let's put this lender lenders have analytics on your bank accounts whether you like it or not whether you're going to uber eats through to a restaurant through to just going to coles or audi they have lender analytics on you about what's going on and one of the things is, is if you don't owe money to a particular bank and they do lender analytics on you, it's going to be slightly in more interesting than if you've got all your lending, all your business banking accounts, all your personal accounts with one lender and they're doing analytics on you. That's a really interesting thing about the, the, the big brother there about are you, are you risky? Are you not risky? Um, most banks have a lot of protections around consumer protection um, laws and things, um, but they will they will do a lot of analytics on you about how what's going on. And if you have fluctuations in business and stuff, that's where we find those those questions about oh we we're not going to we don't like the credit card up at that limit for you or um, no we can't get you another property um, you we we're not going to lend you any more money. And a lot of people that owe only one bank and they go back there and they go can I get another property and they say no they they're stuck and they go where do i go where do i go and um that's where that's where the the broker comes in so is it risky it can be depending on how large your portfolio is um is it is it risky in the way that you're going to be thrown under the bus from the the t1 lender probably not i'll take that that's just so fascinating i was just thinking with all the analytics they have these days i'm like why do we even need to wait for financial year anymore and why does that play such a dominant role like the likelihood of them knowing how your business is doing now like is so high these days like the access to this information is just ridiculous compared to once it would be so i wonder if in the future we'll see less reliance on those end of financial year statements it's a very interesting i hope so line. I, I hope so. There's this thing hope, called hope. open banking coming, so watch watch that space. Hopefully, I don't need to uh, fill out any forms either. That'd be great. Just push a button and get a mortgage. I'm waiting for those days. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm waiting for. Um, Charlie, I reckon we wrap this one up. What do you reckon? Absolutely. This has been a very insightful episode once again, Aaron. So thank you so much for coming on. Oh, awesome. Absolute pleasure, guys. Now, if anyone's listening to this episode and they're sitting there going, Damn, Aaron is a handsome-looking fellow. I really want to get in contact with him. Just note, he's married with kids. However, if you do <laughs> want to talk to him about your mortgage, feel free to head over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash partners and go down to diagnostics and finance. Put in your details and we're more than happy to pass you across to Aaron and his team as well. Aaron, I just want to say thank you very much for jumping on. I know some of those questions were pretty curly and to the point, but holy smokes were they valuable. 
And I just want to say thank you to everybody else as well for listening to the episode. And we look forward to catching you on the next episode of Business and Investing with Grant and kind of Charlie.